1: In Parlour there, Disciples. You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, activist Ros Ward joins us. We also speak with Britt Bailey from Queerspace about their Futures Free from Violence program. And later, Jason Sweeney from Melbourne Fringe show Mask in Progress joins us.
2: You're listening to
3: 3CR Radio.
1: In Your Face would like to thank Thornhubber Health for their financial support of this program. Vaughan Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity
4: and respect. To find out more about them, search Vaughan Harbour Health on your search engine or find them on Facebook.
1: And on the line we have veteran LGBTIQ community activist Roz Ward. Roz, welcome to In Your Face.
5: Thanks for having me. It's a
1: great pleasure. Big day in Melbourne with the Climate Change Rally. What were some of the highlights?
5: Oh, it's absolutely huge. It's still going. I'm losing my voice from chanting so much. It's absolutely massive. I think it's probably one of the biggest demos since at least Work Choices back in, what, 2007?
1: Wow. How many people do you reckon?
5: Well, the organisers are saying at least 150,000. So it's really massive. You can't really comprehend how many people are up here and standing in one spot. So, But yeah.
1: And tell us some of the highlights of the speeches.
5: I uh, didn't get to hear heaps of the speeches. A lot of really great chanting, a lot of young people, just uh, the whole community really seems to have come together. A big union contingent that um, met up at Trades Hall beforehand, a big university student contingent that met at the State Library and came down together. So there's definitely a lot of different people who are all coming together today, I think. It's um, a really important day, and I think internationally it will be really are making history so hopefully the pressure will be put on people who could do anything really at this point to start to affect you know the impact of climate change.
1: Absolutely of course you're also part of the campaign against the federal government's religious discrimination bill. Let's start with the ideology behind that legislation how would you describe it?
5: Well I would describe it as extremely cynical to be honest. I think you can look back to when where the bills originated was the um, inquiry into religious freedoms that was launched a week after the um, very overwhelming yes vote for marriage equality was when Turnbull said, oh, maybe we need to look at religious freedoms. So you think, okay, well, this is not some genuine inquiry or some genuine piece of legislation to actually address, you know, the oppression of religious minorities, of which, of course, there is in Australia, mostly Islamophobia or, you know, anti-Muslim prejudice. But I don't think this has anything to do with that. I think it's really just a, a kind of an attempt to give something to the the kind of Christian lobbyists, the the kind of conservative family values type um, right wing of the liberal national parties to say, well, here's something to make you feel better that you lost it on equal marriage so badly. So um, we're going to give you the right to discriminate against LGBTI people, which is pretty appalling.
1: So is this legislation payback to the LGBTIQ community for achieving marriage equality do you think
5: I think it, I think it's definitely connected I think there's definitely a, a sense there would be people who would be really frustrated to have lost and to have lost kind of in the comprehensive and public manner that they did and I think when people you know start to feel like their position in society is being threatened or their powers or you know their ability to just monopolise public debate with their beliefs, then I think, yeah, there's definitely a sense that it's trying to, it's a little bit vengeful.
1: What's the most frightening aspect of this legislation in your mind? I mean, I imagine there's quite a few bits.
5: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different areas of it. I think one thing that I know a lot of people have been talking about is um, the exemptions around health professionals, and particularly for trans and gender diverse people. I mean, when you go and see a health professional, any of us really, but like, You want to feel safe and you want to feel like that person is going to be, you know, willing to look after you and all of that kind of stuff. But the the provisions that they've put in the bill mean that it's like any kind of, anyone, allied health, primary care, any level of health care, any individual can just say, no, I'm not going to provide you with a service. So that could be, you know, anything from a dentist who sees that you're queer and doesn't like it and can you to go away, you know, pharmacists who might be not wanting to prescribe or, or um, provide hormone treatment to transgender diverse people, like all different levels really of that, which I think can just have a really chilling effect on, on people's access to what should be, you know, basic healthcare right.
1: It very much sounds like something that has the fingerprints of the Freedom Caucus from the religious right of the Republican Party. It seems like it's been, you know, borrowed from their prayer book almost.
5: Yeah, and all the all the freedom language is very sort of Trumpian, you know, like free speech, freedom of religion, and actually in this in in the um, in one of the three bills there's also provision for the creation of a religious freedoms commissioner, which again is really a kind of like up yours to LGBTI people because well for a start there's no LGBTI discrimination commissioner, and none of the other commissioners are called freedom commissioners. you know, there's not like women's freedom commissioner or whatever, it's like, oh, they're all discrimination ones. So why does this one get a special name? Well, you know, there's certain people who would appreciate it, I I suppose.
1: To what extent are you concerned that if this religious discrimination bill passes, it'll be a slippery slope downwards regarding the federal government winding back LGBTIQ rights, even those under the purview of state governments?
5: Well, because the bills would override the um, state and territory governments so in terms of it's that confidence thing, I think, more than anything, that if a, if feels like this get through and Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton and people like that celebrating that, it's kind of the confidence that Trump has given the right in America would be, I think, the similar effect here, that those people can think, oh, well, we've got leadership, you know, political leadership in Australia that's prepared to be openly bigoted and to support bigots, to- you hold those kind of views, and so it just means that the sort of the more extreme elements of transphobia and homophobia are given more confidence, and you can kind of see that in the way that the Australian has been running these awful bloody special pages of news or not news about trans and gender diverse people. It's a real kind of a gathering of all of the worst gum in society, I think. You know, so we need to show that those people that they can't just get away with it.
1: Absolutely. And of course, it makes you wonder what the government will actually do regarding trans and gender diverse people if this bill passes. What would next be on their agenda, for example? It's a it's a frightening thought. Yeah,
5: exactly. And, you know, all the work that's been done around conversion therapy, for example, but this bill, you could imagine that it, it well, it does, a legal opinion has it, that this would absolutely allow conversion therapy to kind of get back up and running and that obviously affects queer people but also trans people like the amount of transgender people who've had basically conversion therapy or counselling in schools and all of that kind of stuff that's incredibly transphobic and, and traumatising and damaging so it's opening all of that back up again.
1: Yes, it's really alarming that even if the Victorian government does ban conversion therapy that this religious discrimination legislation the feds are trying to get up would override that.
5: Yep, absolutely, Yep.
1: Of course, you're no stranger to furthering the rights of trans and gender diverse young people through the Safe Schools program. Uh, this campaign must be particularly dear to your heart because of the work that you did
5: there. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we Safe Schools, we worked with a number of religious schools who were doing really good things, like people who were wanting to kind of move things forward in those schools to start the conversation about trans and gender diverse young people and and LGBT people more broadly. And this, again, just sort of puts a veil over it all and and makes people more afraid. You know, like there's plenty of LGBT teachers who work in religious schools who would be thinking, oh, if this gets through, like, just got to be extremely careful about how, you know, even coming out. And you think, 2019, no one should be afraid to come out at work, you know, but this is the government saying, yes, you should be.
1: Of course, you were frequently in the media when you were working on safe schools. How do you look back on that time?
5: Well, it it was a sort of crazy time in the middle of it all. I'm I'm, um, currently doing a PhD and, and doing some work writing about the kind of nature of the backlash against safe schools, trying to figure out why, what happened, happened, and what we could do better next time, I think. But I think one thing's for sure. like There's a whole generation of young people, and there's a lot of young people at this climate strike today who would know about safe schools and in some ways would define a part of their kind of outlook on it you know like people have raised this question now in their schools and young people will do it even if there's not adults around kind of supporting them saying well why is my school homophobic why is there transphobia why can't this person be themselves in terms of like the conversations that we're having now compared to before safe schools existed I think there's a lot Kind of to look at and think, well, it's definitely had an impact, that's for sure.
1: What are your thoughts on what the backlash against safe schools has been all about?
5: Mm, well, that's a big question. You're going to have to read my book when it comes <laughs> out. But I do think it's part of generally sort of the repressive nature of, of the kind of society that we live in. And I think sometimes you can be, uh, you can kind of let yourself think that, you know, the course of progress is sort of in a straight line. Things, you know, you you win things. It gets better. It keeps getting better. When actually there's there's a battle on all of the time that we win rights to things, even marriage equality. And then a a bill like these religious bills on the table at the moment have an impact on even the marriage acts now. So it's it's sort of that idea that you don't just win something and then stop. You have to keep you have to keep pushing. You have to keep demanding more, because there is you know there's sort of two sides all of the time.
1: Absolutely. Of course, you're a big part of the campaign against the federal government's religious discrimination bill, and you were central on the organising of the rally in Melbourne in late August. When's the next one?
5: Yeah, so we've pushed the date back just to make sure that we can get the word out about it. So it's going to be on the 26th of October, a Saturday, at one o'clock at the State Library.
1: Awesome stuff. Ros, always great to chat with you. I'll let you get back to the rally. Thanks heaps for joining yeah, us today on no 3CR. Worries. It's Thanks awesome. very much. And good luck with the book. I can't wait to read it.
5: Yeah, cool. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Cheers.
5: Bye.
1: Community treasure and activist Ros Ward there. You are an in your face on three CR. Here's Patty Smith. It Maddie Smith there with her beautiful track, Wing. You're on Interface on 3CR with James. I'm joined by Britt Bailey from Queer Space at Drummond Street Services. Britt is a therapeutic worker there and uh, is going to talk to us about their Futures Free from Violence program. And a trigger warning, we will be discussing intimate partner violence in the LGBTIQ community. Welcome, Britt, to 3CR. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. Let's start with the definition of intimate partner violence. How would you define it?
6: Yeah, so I guess we we work with family and intimate partner violence. So I think most people have, I guess, their own definition of it. It can include physical abuse, which I think is the most common way that people can identify family violence. But it also includes psychological abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse and not just in the way that we look at sexual assault in the criminal definition but also coercion pressure to have sex pressure to do things that people might not feel comfortable with so this is often perpetrated by a partner but can also include our broad range of um our broad definition of family so family of origin and also sometimes housemates or people that you might identify as family
1: so I guess that makes it a bit different, perhaps, to the non-queer world. It has a different context in the queer world, I'm guessing.
6: Yeah, that's right. We, at Space we do adopt that, that broader range of um, of family. So we leave it up to the individual to say what their definition of family is and if they see that person as a family member or a partner. Yeah. So how
1: prevalent is this kind of violence within the queer community?
6: yeah so there's actually not that much population wide data to be drawn on, but what we do know that it occurs at similar if not greater rates than within our within the heterosexual and cisgendered community we do know that Our community do face particular barriers to accessing support though. Such as? So mainstream services aren't well equipped to understand the complexities and the nuances of the community. It's also historically been quite invisible in our community. So most, um, I guess, of the advertisements and propaganda that you might see in the community is definitely focused on heterosexual couples or couples with children. So there's not been that much out there until pretty recently about about family and intimate partner violence within the queer community.
1: So those barriers must be a huge impediment to people not only reaching out and getting support but reporting it to authorities.
6: Yeah, absolutely and that's a big thing that we're doing a lot of work with with other community orgs and with with police to try to build on that knowledge. So we know that there's been quite a few incidents where police have been called out to incidents of family and intimate partner violence and it's not been identified as family and intimate partner violence. It might be seen as two housemates having an argument or seen as, um, for instance, if it's two women, they might think that they don't pose a risk to each other because it's two women. So really combating those heterosexist ideas of family and intimate partner partner violence, yeah.
1: So tell us a bit more about the work that's being done with police.
6: So I guess a lot of the work that we've been doing with police is um, we're sort of starting up. There's a lot of work done with with the gay and lesbian liaison officers. So really building up the skill base with police and building that understanding.
1: Is the government here in Victoria making an adequate investment in this area, intimate partner violence, and uh, also the federal government, are they spending enough?
6: Mm, that's a big question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and probably a bit political.
6: A bit political. I guess in a nutshell, no. We would like, we'd like more money, more resources, to be honest. And we're definitely still building the evidence base, so I think it'd be great if some more money went into resources in that area as well.
1: So you're running the Futures Free from Violence program at Queer Space yeah. at Drummond Street Services. Tell us about yeah. how it works and how it's structured.
6: Yeah, so the Futures Free from Violence program it does have a mainstream or heterosexual cisgendered as part of it, but the we also have the the LBQ TGD component of it, which is built into Queer Space. The way that the program is set up is that we have a group program. So that should run for about 17 weeks um, where participants can work with other people in the community and we'll facilitate that. So in a supportive, non-judgment environment where people can learn new tools and strategies on how to, I guess, have respectful relationships and avoid using force and violence. And alongside that, we're also offering one-on-one therapeutic support so we can really try to address the use of violence in a holistic way and look at, I guess, it's quite trauma-informed, so looking at other ways we can support people and looking at some of the needs they have as well.
1: So you're working with both perpetrators and survivors?
6: Yeah, yep. Um, we try to stray away, I guess, from the, the term perpetrator. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's very 1990s, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah, so we're using the term um, person using violence or force um, and I guess just to avoid those labels. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think, and the yeah. stigma
1: associated absolutely. with the historical kind of, you know, uh, labelling and discrimination yeah. around it, which, of course, doesn't really help, I guess.
6: Yeah, so it's a very non-punitive um, program. So we're definitely really avoiding trying to put labels on people. Um, and we're also working with the person impacted by violence, um, you know, when we can get consent and if it's appropriate to do so. So that, that can include a partner or a family member and sometimes children. Um, even if they don't want to engage with us, we're happy to link them in with some other supports if they if they would like, just to make sure that Um, I guess we can try to increase the safety for everyone.
1: So just the language that you're using Mm. kind of says to me that the topic of intimate partner violence is becoming less taboo in the queer community.
6: Yeah, I think it is. Um, Definitely since the Royal Commission into Family Violence, I think that there's becoming a bit of a bigger vocabulary around it. Mm. Um, Mainstream services are working on becoming more equipped. Um, Not quite there yet, but I think there's... um, definitely a commitment there to i guess build that knowledge base and build those skills in that area um i think that people are talking about it more yeah i think that our community you know we i guess we have this this need to um not put labels on things um i guess we are sort of held to a higher standard than maybe our heterosexual and cisgendered counterparts why Um, is that do you think ah good question um,
1: Maybe there is no easy answer.
6: Yeah. Well, I guess society. That's yeah. probably the easy answer, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you think this is um, something that was swept under the carpet during the marriage equality debate, and now that that's over, that there is more language and more kind of, you know, breathing space for people to be able to deal with it? And also you mm. mentioned the Royal Commission into Family Violence as well. Yeah. I guess they're both factors in 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 uh, the community's being able to deal with this better?
6: Yeah, I guess um, within the, the marriage equality debate, it was actually, I guess, used as a tool against marriage equality. If anything, it was used as a way of saying that our community is violent and we shouldn't allow marriage equality. So in that respect, I guess there wasn't enough buy-in from the community to actually put supports in place for um, for family and intimate partner violence in the queer TGD community. And I guess people didn't want to identify that it was going on because we want to be seen that we're having healthy and respectful relationships. And what we know is that most most queer and trans and gender-diverse relationships are positive and respectful, but family violence still does occur and it still does need an adequate response, so support services should be set up for that.
1: And I guess, you know, the causes of it are, are you know, as long as proverbial piece of string and I guess you know stigma and discrimination can result in internalised homophobia which can lead to violence.
6: Yeah absolutely um, and that's certainly something that we take into account with the program.
1: What about financial abuse within LGBTIQ relationships? Is that something that you find is, is common as well?
6: Yeah I definitely would say that it's common. Um I guess there's not enough evidence to say whether it's more prevalent um, in our community or less prevalent. We're also seeing a lot of themes of, um, I guess, sleep sleep deprivation as well. Really? Yeah. Yep. And um, particular tactics around um, threatening to out people, um, threatening to out their HIV status, withholding medication. Um, and withholding gender affirming devices as well. So, there are particular tactics that can be used for perpetrators within the community.
1: Wow, that's really, really hardcore. That's really, really full on. And I guess that's difficult for some people to report. Yeah. Um, because perhaps, you know, police and perhaps some services kind of diminish just the impacts of those behaviours.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And I think that there's this, um, this idea from, I guess, police and statutory services that um, they're not seen as a threat to each other or that maybe sometimes just putting it in the too hard basket.
1: So where can people go for immediate support?
6: Yeah, so I guess um, for some queer-specific um, support, they can reach out to Switchboard, um, which is 1-800-184-527. Um, can also reach out for Crisis... Um, support. Um, so, if you are fearful for your immediate safety, you can reach out to Safe Steps on one eight hundred zero one five one eight eight. Um, there's also Thorn Harbour Health and Queer Space, but um, there's also mainstream family violence services as well. So, just jump on Google and look that up.
1: So if people want to participate in futures free from violence, where do they go?
6: So give us a call at Queerspace or you can go onto our website, um, queerspace.org.au, and just fill out out the form and then our intake team will get in touch.
1: Awesome stuff. Britt, thank you so much for joining me today on 3CR.
6: Thanks, James. (laughs)
3: What she did to her
1: Sinead O'Connor, fire on Babylon. You're on In Your Face on 3CR. Up real soon, I'll be talking to Adelaide Duo Girl about their Melbourne Fringe show Mask in Progress. But in the meantime, here's Charlotte Sereno. This is the Narnia poem. Charlotte has performed as part of Melbourne Fringe. And this was recorded by 3CR's Spoken Word Show recently.
7: Given we've had a bit of a conversation about queerness, this one is about kind of that intersectionality of identity and identifying as a queer person of colour. So it's called Narnia. She asked me, well, my colours don't shine as brightly as hers. Hers arched over valleys, cascaded across cities, mine speckled in fragments under UV lights in dimly lit bars. I told her that no two people could stand in the exact same spot and see the exact same spectrum of colour at any given time. You can never see all the colours, and mine just don't shine so brightly. Between these yellows and caramels, I guess you'll only see pastels. But I wear a blue that fades to black. I wear a red that bleeds of sadness left behind in the wreckage of conquerors and colonisers, a vintage shade of blue, passed down for my mother, and her mother, and her mother. The blue of languages lost and left unspoken. The red of a heart that yearns for a home that has rendered me homeless. She parades her colours. We store owls away like secrets swept under rugs. Skeletons in closets so it's no secret that you'd find me living in Narnia. When I wore that technicolour coat, they saw that as biblical, not quite political, the lines of my bi-sexuality broken in their reality. They saw this as an ode to Joseph. My mother wears Polaroid sunglasses, she cannot see my queer. Call it a moonroe, call it specks of pastels under UV light, laced with my mother's yellow and my father's caramel. Call it our shades of blue arched into a frown. Call it what comes after rain. Call it what's arched behind fur coats and A line skirts. Call it colours in closets. <laughs>
8: Sit by, watch love walk away If we don't try, save the love we got Once we lose the girl, we're gonna lose a lot Oh we, oh we better Girl try, try to get ourselves together Baby we, oh we better Girl change the thing between the two of us. We always found a way to face it all together. We need each other now, hardly more than ever. We've got to find the love we used to know. Oh, if we find that love, we'll never let it go. Oh, what a shame.
1: Very white, baby. We there? Try and get together. You're on interface on three CR with James. Very excited. Joined by Jason and M from Girl, an Adelaide duo who is doing Mask in Progress as part of the Melbourne Fringe Festival. Welcome, welcome to three CR.
0: Thank you for having us. It is a great pleasure. So, what can we expect at Mask in Progress? Uh, you can expect music first and foremost. So um we're we're really essentially a, a band. That sometimes gets misconstrued with the kind of work that we do, but every 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 kind of performance we make is centred around music. You can expect excellent projections from our video artists that we work with, Heath Britton. You can expect costume changes live on stage. <laughs> uh you can expect what else can we can you expect jace
4: well i guess you know you can expect a sort of like um high energy and intense sort of speculation on masculinity i mean that's kind of what the show is about and um you know a lot most of the songs in the show kind of speculate on what that means and also we have lots of um interviews that we play back with some people within the community that we know who have responded to a series of questions around wow. masculinity that's mm. pretty novel that's unusual no one does that with music shows well no yeah. it's it's been an interesting yeah and and it well it really it really works it's sort of like um supports the songs and helps i guess people understand a little bit about the context of where we're coming
0: from as as musicians yeah it sort of came about we were um we were making the show, and we kind of we wrote all the songs, and we put it together, and we were rehearsing, and kind of getting the visual material together, building the show, and uh, we kind of got to the end of it and realized that our kind of perspective and, and our voice was was not uh, the, the, the singularity of that was not okay. We really needed to for such a broad kind of current. Uh, subject matter that is masculinity and and what it is these days. We really needed to have voices of others, so uh, we we set about kind of harvesting those or collecting those uh, to use in the show, and it's working really beautifully. Yeah, and and you know the, the the name of the work, which is mask,
4: um, you know, it comes a lot also from I suppose gay male culture in particular. The the, the term mask for mask being a a thing that's around and that. Um, was intriguing, I think, to both of us, you know, uh, to begin with, it's like, well, that immediately is very exclusive and then makes a lot of people feel, you know, outside of their own community. So it's like, well, what does that mean? What does masculinity mean within queer culture? Um, yeah, so, you know, we have our own, and through the music and the songs, I suppose that's where our own commentary comes in. Um, but by opening it up, you know, to a bunch of other people, it's, it's, you get a wider perspective um, So, yeah What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, ma- toxic masculinity
1: That's yeah. really what you're dealing with, isn't yeah. it? Essentially, essentially. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What are your perspectives
0: on that? Uh, it was sort of, I mean, we're queer people uh, And so the, the the idea for the show was essentially born out of our personal experiences of toxic masculinity And how it's affected us very specifically as as queer people in the world um, in in a in a variety of ways so um we 've certainly been victims of it we certainly under we 're trying to be kind of diplomatic in the way that we 're approaching it because we understand that there are reasons for it uh that are perpetuated in a variety of ways in this kind of western society that we 're all living in um and internalised homophobia as well. Absolutely, um, it sounds like
1: you're also dealing with uh, internalised homophobia and toxic masculinity within the queer community. Yeah, it's not just the straight people that you're kind of commenting on with your music. Yep.
4: Yeah. It's. It's. And it's. And I, I think that's really fascinating and um, sort of like a great area to to mine into. Actually, you know, to really dig into that because it can be a, it can be a quite an uncomfortable thing. I think you know within the queer community to acknowledge that that exists. You know? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So it's like that thing, isn't it, where people say, I just want to be an average guy. Mm. I'm just your average guy. And it's like, well, actually, you're not. You're yeah. gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. but people kind of want to be something that they're not. And I guess that's because of socialisation and homophobia and the way that we internalise it all. I've got to say that I loved your uh, your preview for the show. And the bit that I'm really looking forward to, because I'm coming along tomorrow night, is the bear pole. Dancing Mm. Tell us about that And who is he
0: Okay so that is is the fabulous um, Anthony Santamaria Who when he's performing He goes under the name Ignatius Blackthorn Or Iggy B Um, And he The the footage that you would have seen In the teaser Is from the video For our The debut single From the album mask That we're releasing From which the music For the show comes uh, Called War That was uh, So there's an album (laughs) There's an album on the way There's an album on the way Uh, But, yes, um, Anthony Santamaria stars in the music video for War and some of that footage is being used in the show. Mm. So he's not performing live.
1: It's almost as if I can just see this taking off and becoming a really big stage show, like a queer kind of version of Keating. Oh, brilliant.
4: Please. Please. (laughs) Sign us up. Wave your
0: wand and make it happen. (laughs)
4: We'll do it. Yeah, and that'd be great if it did. Imagine, like, you know, a, a show about masculinity being a kind of, you know... Broadway musical, no, yeah, I mean, I think the potential is actually great, you know, and I think we've we've tried to make it quite accessible, but at the same time, trying to keep a sort of you know edge to what we're doing and really ask the hard questions.
0: It's experimental. It's dark. It's queer. It's all. It's mm, all of that stuff that we love. Dark. Um, it, it, dark I actually mean like uh literally dark we 're in a black box, and the only lighting for the show is is from a is from a projector it 's quite dynamic, but it's it, it is very dark and and I guess the themes that we 're touching on can be quite dark at times too yeah,
1: absolutely yeah. Uh, so tell us a bit more about some of those dark themes, apart from toxic masculinity <laughs>
0: um, I guess things that go along with the queer experience like shame is probably in there as well around body image. Um, a queer shame in general and, and in all of its guises and the way and the way that it uh, kind of manifests.
4: Yeah. And I would say also there's um, particularly through our interviews um, and the things that are said within the show, uh, how masculinity uh, has an impact in terms of how climate change has occurred. Um, how so poverty, timely. Yeah. So timely today, of course, absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, politics of course completely embedded within that um yeah i mean i i can't see an aspect of our culture that masculinity doesn't have an effect on and i would like to say you know that yes we are probably focusing on the sort of Darker elements, but we're trying to find that balance as well through through conversations we're having and through our own perspective. That, of course, you know, masculinity isn't just men; it's it's a it's a broad concept that that so many everybody can, in one way or another, um, can inhabit masculinity.
0: Well, something we're really something that's really important for us while we're developing the work is um. Separating masculinity from maleness mm. as two different things. How do you how do you separate them? Like, well, because it's not only men that possess masculinity; everybody does. Yeah. Um, and and remembering that whenever we're talking about it, you know what I mean. It's not a show about men; it's a show about masculinity, and what does that mean? Mm. Yeah.
1: So you're from Adelaide. Is there a particular Adelaide flavour to this as well? I mean, we can't escape our roots.
0: What's an Adelaide flavour? Well, <laughs> I don't know. Darkness. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Actually, I was thinking that when yeah. you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been it's been something that you know is often that comes from work that comes from Adelaide's that dark underbelly that you know the the city of lights slash churches that has a dark underbelly. I mean, I don't know. I think I, I'm not sure whether there's an Adelaide. It's hard to to know from an objective point of view whether there is an Adelaide quality, but. We're certainly a a South Australian team, Mm. but, um, uh, yeah. There was a great musician, I'm sure he's still doing stuff, called Always,
1: who was from Adelaide, uh, who really kind of did some very avant-garde music around queerness in the 1990s. and The reason why I asked that question is, when you were talking about about gender and masculinity and just the whole show,
0: it kind of reminded me a little bit of, of, of his work, Oh. So that got me onto the Adelaide flavour. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, there's a lot of stuff happening at the moment, particularly in the underground kind of experimental electronic uh, scene. Um, is is yeah. there an
1: underground experimental scene in Adelaide? Mm. Obviously. There absolutely got, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us a bit more about that.
0: Um, well, we've... <laughs> you're, at
1: the for, you're at the forefront of it, obviously.
0: Well, we're kind of mm-hmm. approaching it in a little bit of a different way. We kind of, we're making um, these kind of... Shows in the way that we're making them Which are kind of more theatre based And so we kind of stopped gigging as such In inverted commas Uh, So we're not necessarily a part of it Other than kind of as spectators Um, But there's events like Half Strange that are coming up Which features some really wonderful artists uh, There's um, Ancient World Which is a a local venue that really kind of supports This um, experimental electronic scene Mm. And
4: we do a lot of work with a company called Vital Statistics uh, Who support not only... um, Uh, experimental music and sound art um, but um, performance practice and live art uh, and visual arts meets performance practice so you know there's a lot of spaces to to make work and present work uh, in Adelaide um, which you know I think for us we feel very blessed because there is um, you know it's it's a place where you can actually make work and still you know do it pretty cheaply and, you know, efficiently and with, you know, a kind of relative freedom. So, yeah, I don't know. I think a lot, I mean, a lot of really great experimental musicians have left Adelaide and moved to Melbourne, <laughs> funnily yeah. enough. Um, so there's, I think there's always that sort of um, Adelaide-Melbourne sort of hand-in-hand uh, hand kind of thing going on with experimental We pinch music. the best stuff from Adelaide. <laughs> Thieves, we always return. Hey, look, you're at Brunswick
1: Mechanics Institute and it's a venue I walk past every day. I live in Brunswick. How did you end up at that venue? Because for me, it doesn't seem like it's a coincidence because you actually seem very Brunswick and you seem like a perfect fit for that venue. (laughs) How would you end up there coming all the way from Adelaide for Fringe? How would you pick a venue and end up in just what seems like the perfect venue for you guys?
0: Well, um, we're actually performing as part of a larger event, which is called Critical Mass, which is um, a a part of the Fringe Festival and was curated by um, uh, S.J. Norman. Uh, uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. And... um, yeah, that's, yeah, and my then, mind's gone completely blank. Yeah. <laughs> Happens to the best of us. <laughs> yeah,
4: no, so yeah, uh, um, Sj um, curated this work and at least I don't know, I think it's 15 other performance works um, that uh, and and visual artworks that are happening at Brunswick Mechanics Institute and Black Dot Gallery and site works uh, over the entire fringe. So it's kind of like a festival within the fringe. Um, and uh, incredible festival. Um, I would say, you know, um, it's majority queer work, um, majority First Nations work. Um, and it's, it's pretty amazing. I feel very excited to be part of it. So, yeah, and that's, that's, that's why we're here
0: because um, of, of SJ. Yes. Awesome stuff. How can people get tickets? Through uh, Melbourne Fringe. Melbourne Fringe website. Yeah. Mask in progress search Awesome yes. stuff.
1: I will be there tomorrow night. Yep. Really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to the beards and the pole <laughs> dancing and the rest of it. The narratives, the stories and the music. The sonic rawness. It sounds wonderful. Yeah, Thank you, James. Thank Talking you. to Jason and M from Adelaide Duo Girl. Check it out. Mask in Progress as part of Melbourne Fringe. I am out of here. Jacob's up next with a Friday rave. Taking us out is our Nine Inch Nails. We'll catch you next week on In Your Face. Probably got a language warning too on this track. Bye, everyone.